0: Mr. Derek Vienha. Huh? Who's better known as Deke? Drinking liquor with DJ Deke. We out laughing.
1: Welcome, everybody, back to the Dcast. I'm your host, Deke Catello. And it's episode 94, and we have a panel today. Um, welcome, guys. We have Dr. Kevin Fulta, Mick West, and Lalo Degash. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank Hi. Welcome back. Uh, multiple time guests, all three of you. And uh, I'll give you guys a quick uh, intro so you know who you're listening to here. So uh, Dr. Kevin Fulta is from the University of Florida. He works in uh, genomics, uh, plant genomics, and he's uh, actually sequenced the strawberry genome. Um, and he has a podcast called the Talking Biotech Podcast. Um, and he's concerned with science communications. So uh, we're glad to have him here today for that. Welcome, Kevin. It was perfect,
0: and, yeah. That's-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Short and sweet. And uh, Mick West, of course, you might remember him from creating the Tony Hawk Pro Skater uh, video game series. Uh, retired video game programmer, turned skeptic, UFO investigator, um, talking head, media personality lately. Uh, of course, UFOs is such a big topic. Uh, welcome, Mick. Thank you. Glad to and, be here. And last but not least, uh, Lalo Dugash, the Chilean-Palestinian, as some call him. Um, We've learned from him over the podcast he's been on that uh, Chile has the largest population of Palestinians outside of Palestine, um, five to six times that of uh, in the United States. Um, So very interesting stuff and Lalo is interested in politics, uh, religion, cults and uh, topics like that. He has his own podcast as well, the Lalo Degash podcast. So welcome Lalo. Thanks for inviting me again. No problem. So, gentlemen, today uh, we have some big topics. Everybody knows that big topics in the news and the Twitter world is uh, this concept of UFO sightings and disclosure that is supposedly upcoming. Um, And we also have this uh, COVID origins theory, the Wuhan lab leak theory, you might call it. And um, the latest uh, on that front, I believe, is um, gain of function or they're calling it the gain of function Twitter. Even there's a whole subset of tweeters Which, who are obsessed with uh, this concept of gain of function. We'll get into all the specifics, but um, maybe um, we can start with the UFO stuff. And for that, we'll turn to Mick. And uh, Mick, for maybe for people who don't know much about it, could you give a brief sort of overview and a history of, uh, or a recent history of these um, Navy videos and the debunk, the subsequent debunking,
2: and um, and where we're at now. Yeah. Well, you know, I've given like the my explanation. Well, the discussions of this before. I was wondering if maybe we could actually start with the other two guests and get their perspective of, of what they see as being the UFO thing. That'd so I'm be really interested interesting. In, in how different people perceive it. And if I just kind of give my full speech spiel, yes. it'll kind of like corrupt their perspectives. I so really like that. Maybe we could start with that.
1: Yeah, I, I know uh, Kevin has mentioned he might have seen some UFOs before. So, Kevin, I don't know if you wanted to
0: start... Well, my perspective is already corrupted, um, so I, I, I can give my two cents. Um, I actually was a member of MUFON for a long time. Right. And I served as a debunker in, in chief in that realm. And it doesn't make you any friends in the UFO world yeah. to, to be a debunker because they want to be true believers. Yeah. Um, this recent stuff is really interesting because you see people automatically default to unidentified flying objects to little green men from Mars. And that's the problem: is that it doesn't mean intelligent life from somewhere else. It means that it's something we can't explain. And I haven't been on top of the debunking of this particular thing, but it's been really interesting to see the videos. Um, and uh, if I was North Korea, I'd be cl- I'd be claiming it was mine. I <laughs> mean, mm-hmm. um, I would be uh, you know saying that these were something that we created. At least give people the idea that we had something going on with some superior drone technology or something. But I I was looking forward to hearing, you know, what what others actually thought about this. one. It's just for me, it just bothers me that I constantly see the default to it must be aliens from another planet when there's probably a very simple explanation. Right. So, uh, Lalo, what do you think?
3: So it's not the topic I uh, I I research a lot anymore. It used to be I actually used to be really, really into UFOs uh, growing up because I, I am a huge fan of science fiction. I was a huge fan of like, you know, the original X-Files show. And I read a lot of, you know, science fiction novels when I was young from Ray Bradbury and Isaac Asimov. But as I grew older and I started to uh, start to moderate what I believe in by the amounts of scientific information there is of it, proven, tangible, tested information, you just see that it's a lot of hearsay and personal testimonies and there's nothing really that concrete around it. Um, And there was an, old comic i used i had these old comic books from like the 50s or 60s 70s around then it was just you know these really old like a uh, uh, multi-story uh written by science fiction authors and there was an, an interview with uh, I believe it was ray bradbury where he said that what bothered him most about ufos was that when people say they saw a ufo they interpret that to mean a flying saucer with green men in it and that UFO just means un- unidentified flying objects. And so, and I hear still people saying this, like in Joe Rogan podcast, for example, like, do you believe in UFOs? It's a strange yeah. thing to say, do you believe in something that's unknown? <laughs> you know, it, it, that's, a, that's it's a contradiction in itself, right? Do you believe something that we don't know what it is? Or what is there to believe? You definitively can say like, there's something unidentified flying there. When you start jumping to conclusions as to what it is, then you go down simply, you know, hypotheticals or somebody's personal opinion. I do think it's not impossible, or or even technically unlikely that there is alien life and possibly traveling, even. You know, it, it's not outside the realm of possibility as far as science or even uh, how much intelligent life there could be in the universe. If you Look at Drake's equation and say how much intelligent life could there be? You know, if the universe is infinite, how much opportunities there for, there is for life? Sure, but just because there's a possibility doesn't mean that's what we're looking at. I do think it's almost more unlikely that these are human technologies that are just astronomically ahead of all yeah. technologies because technology doesn't work that way. It doesn't jump, you know, a hundred steps ahead. It you know it, it's it would be absurd if they are playing around with, with technologies that are, you know, that seem infinitely more advanced than the B2 stealth bomber or something like that. Why would we, why would you hide and how could you hide that much technology over so much time? You would use it to some degree outside of just, you know, having some kind of light fly around in the sky. You would use it for practical reasons. We use, you know, technologies for all kinds of different things, right? From our microwave to our phones or things like that. You wouldn't have this like, super advanced technology just to fly it around in the sky. <laughs> so I I don't think that's very likely. I think, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, it could be if it's aliens, if they said, you know, there was an there was a flying saucer and we discovered it tomorrow and it was aliens and little green men, I'd be like, okay, yeah, it seems ex- extremely likely that that's that could be the case, but it's I'm not going to believe anything unless I see more concrete evidence. I do think these new um interviews that are coming out and videos that are semi-confirmed, maybe by the government, it's not clear to me if anything is actually a government official saying these are real, but it's always fun and it's always interesting and we yeah. can speculate, but when people have to moderate their expectations and their beliefs, you know?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> all that is true, I think, and you know, it's a fascinating thing, like and the, I think there's kind of two stories going on here. Uh, One is the the evidence that people are are putting out there that's kind of some of it is new and and interesting and some of it is kind of compelling. And then the other is kind of what's going on behind the scenes. Like, why do we why are we at this position? Why are people actually talking about it now? Who is is pushing these these narratives? Uh, You know, from my perspective, I kind of got into it uh, around 2017. I, I was never really a big UFO guy before then. I was more into other conspiracy theories like uh, like chemtrails and 911 uh, uh, 9/11, uh you know, conspiracy theories people saying that 911 was controlled demolition and things like that uh, but i was i was very interested in in the chemtrails thing part of what you do in debunking the chemtrails conspiracy theory is that people will put up videos of planes spraying things and you've got to identify the plane so i i, I developed a skill set in identifying planes especially ones leaving contrails. Uh, and then there was a, a case that came up in Chile, uh, which was this Chilean Navy UFO video, which was lauded as being like the best UFO video ever, the best UFO case, like proven to be unidentified by the Chilean Air Force. Uh, and that you know, turned out to be something I recognized straight away as being a plane leaving a contrail. And so I kind of you know, explained that to, to people. And it. Solve for that case, and that kind of got me kind of a bit more interested in UFOs. And that kind of coincided a few months later with this story in the New York Times, which was quite an amazing development, really. You know, the New York Times doing a story about UFOs was kind of a sea change in the way the media uh, takes it seriously or not. And they, they were saying you know, the government is investigating UFOs. Uh, and then they released these videos, and you know, I, I investigated these videos and found plausible explanations for them. Uh, but then there's also eyewitness accounts that, that sound quite plausible, uh, and I've I've kind of become just because I enjoy investigating these little 3D puzzles of where is this thing in space. I've become like the de facto UFO narrative debunker, and you know, people started calling me up, and so now I I kind of got sucked in from just simply being the technical analyst into talking about the people I, uh, one of the things you might have seen recently that sounded very compelling is the 60 minutes piece on UFOs where they interview two pilots, David Fravor, and Alex Dietrich. And in that interview, uh, David Fravor says he, he describes, he says, literally, uh, all four of us watched this thing for five minutes. But then later uh, on Twitter, I was talking to Alex Dietrich about it, and I noted that she said it was like eight to 10 seconds, and I asked her what she meant by eight to 10 seconds, and she said the entire thing, from her perspective, only took eight to 10 seconds. So even even with these eyewitness accounts that sound super compelling, there's these gaping holes. I went on to interview her at length. I did like a 45-minute interview with her where she basically confirmed, yeah, she only saw it for 10 seconds, and yet, it's been portrayed as being this thing that with all these different eyewitness accounts that match exactly, and in fact, they're radically different. So the evidence does not hold up to scrutiny, and it's really interesting that it's being put out there as something that actually does. Do we have people who are inept looking at the evidence, or are they they actually pushing the evidence in a certain way because they really believe that there are aliens and they don't really care very much about the quality? It's fascinating stuff.
1: Yes, that, um, again, it's another one of these things that ties these these larger topics together, um, the COVID origins and the UFO stuff, because it speaks to that fact that, well, our fallibility with eyewitness accounts is as well, which is documented in psychology and in court systems, and if, if I'm correct. And um, also the concept that in every field, there is one to two to three percent of people who believe something crazy or don't know what they're talking about like somebody could have a phd in virology but could also um believe that the oceans give you healing powers like uh, judy mikovitz um things like that um some virologists in chile are are actually uh anti-vaxxers yeah yeah um in, in chile um Lalo, you could t- you tell us more about this, but in Chile, they have the, it's a bit of a tangent, but we have one of the best uh, vaccination rates in Chile, but they're locking down the main cities again. Now, is that because of lack of additional um, restrictions in coinciding with the vaccines? Or you you mentioned that it's a lot of the older at uh, risk people haven't been vaccinated? Right. So uh, I actually was just having a debate with somebody today
3: and it's a debate I'm constantly having lately uh, because of Chile because the anti-vaxxers have latched on to Chile because of this reason because uh, Chile has been in the forefront among like the top three countries for many weeks now as far as the amount of people they're vaccinating and they're using Chile as an example of vaccinations not working uh, because the amount of uh, people getting sick and in the ERs are the highest they've ever been and so they're saying well oh this is proof that a uh, or anti vax ideas were, were true. And uh, this is a perfect example of conspiracy theory thinking and people just come jumping to conclusions without looking deeper into it. And it's, it's widely reported, it's reported in every hospital all over the country, every day here, that over 95% of the people in the ERs didn't get vaccinated. Most of them chose not to. Most of them are very young. They're not the elderly who are, who are normally getting sick. So what happened that uh, the vaccination came to Chile, the government was really good about distributing it. They bought it early. They organized really well, you know, ranked top of the list in, in uh, countries vaccinating their people. What happened? Everybody relaxed because there's a very high level of uh, people who are anti in Chile. When the vaccine came to Chile, They started, just before it came, they did a study how many people are going to immediately get vaccinated. 50% said immediately, half the country. Another 30% said, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to take it when when it's my turn. 20% said never. So what happened? Months went by. Yes, they were distributing the vaccine very well, but millions, 30% of the country, almost one third, didn't go when it was their turn. So. And then 20 just said never. So half the country waited. So what happened? The numbers started rising because everyone who didn't get vaccinated also thought, well, the the people who should have gotten vaccinated, the rest of you, not me, but the rest of you did. I can go out now. I can live my life. Mm -hmm. Mass gatherings everywhere. People partying again, people walking around without masks, etc. Everything that we were trying to accomplish went to hell. So the vaccine actually worked against us in that way where people thought, oh, the vaccine came. Therefore, everything's fine. But they didn't get vaccinated and they went out. Yeah. So, so it worked against them that way. What happened now is that Chile, the Chilean government tried to push people to get it by saying, you're going to need now some kind of ID of vaccination to use public transportation. Suddenly, hundreds of thousands of people are showing up to vaccination centers to get vaccinated. But it's not their turn anymore. They're complaining. They're angry now. It's their fault completely. But this is a case of people using uh numbers to believe what they want and uh, yeah I'm sure Mick has, has seen this countless times and it's simply not true the you know the the so w- when they talk about who's in the ers right now it's 95 percent of people who didn't who aren't vaccinated most of them chose not to the the other five percent are people who uh only had the first shot or got the second shot but very recently or are in the uh, in, in, like they're in risk meaning they are obese or they're smokers or they have asthma etc and that makes up all of the rest of, of those five percent people who are not in that risk uh, percentage got both vaccinations and had the, about two weeks after of of time practically zero way less than than 0.01 percent um but people are I, I keep getting people telling me ah you're you're one of the highest countries that were vaccinated, yet your hospitals are full. Yeah, see proof, no. So and but right. and this happens yeah. with every conspiracy theory.
1: Well, and again, this is uh, again a bit of a, a tangent, but it relates in, in that fact, in that sense, that um, people who have a misunderstanding of a larger, a larger scope of how science works, or how statistics works, or how uh, any of these things, a little bit of a deeper level of how they work, um, the average person is not primed to fully understand that. So they'll use their these types of stats to confirm their biases. Um, now, Mick, when you interviewed uh, Alex, what changed with your perspective after interviewing her or, or how did you perceive her um, credibility in that?
2: Well, I think she's also been fairly credible in that she's, she's telling very much things as she remembers them. And she often prefaces what she's saying with uh, that memory might might have changed and that she might have misperceived things or that she might be misremembering them and this is kind of in contrast to the other pilot uh, David Fraver who's who's basically been rock solid with with his account of things uh, since the start and uh, but you know what happened of course is that now we have two accounts whereas before it seemed like we only had one account their accounts didn't really line up before and now now we've got this this you know this this vast discrepancy and what was more interesting for me than just simply what she said was the reaction of people on Twitter, this kind of you know, UFO Twitter subculture, uh, like you get, you know, whatever, an anti-vax subculture or whatever on Twitter, yeah. but a UFO subculture uh, on Twitter. And, the, and they were very kind of upset and they, they were almost... Say no, no, no. That makes no difference whatsoever, and uh, you know it doesn't matter. You know, five minutes, ten minutes. What's the difference? People perceive things differently, which of course is complete nonsense. If you're describing a complicated set of maneuvers in the air, and one person says it takes uh, five minutes, and the other one takes it says it takes ten seconds, this is this is a very very different type of thing, and yet people were trying to shoehorn. Uh, an explanation of it into their brains, which uh, is is just, it's just kind of impossible, they couldn't do it, you have to accept that this discrepancy is there. And then you've got to say, you know, why is the discrepancy? Is it because they're misremembering it? Or is it because she's got the correct one, and he hasn't, or he has, and she hasn't, or neither of them have the correct explanation? You know, you think you've you got to be honest in your approach to these things. And just real quick, like you're talking about statistics there, one of the things that the UFO people do a lot is is create these, these correlations uh, between things, which I'm sure you see all the time with things like epidemiology, uh, that people will say things like, you know, like, um, here are the hotspots. And they'll show a map of the United States and the hotspots are going to be, you know, Los Angeles, New York and uh, and somewhere in Florida. And all it is, is they're showing basically maps of of population. And the UFO people like to say uh, UFOs like to focus on nuclear bases. Mm -hmm. And then they'll just list the few cases out of the hundreds of thousands of cases that are at nuclear bases, which get a little bit more attention because, like, it's more of a security issue. So sometimes people write more about them there's no more cases there than there is anywhere else but because you know you pick the ones that happens to be in that location then then they just say there's a correlation so it's really almost almost dishonest i don't think it's entirely dishonest sometimes i think people just want to believe and so they like to make these connections but a lot of the time it verges on dishonesty well it's like the bermuda triangle right
1: uh the bermuda triangle is as a kid I loved those stories like I was always like why is all this stuff happening in this one triangle between but then you realize that the same amount of ships go missing and planes go missing in every yeah. other area of the ocean they're just they're just picking a spot and then showing you the stories from that uh, and if you don't know the stories from elsewhere how are you going to know any better you're you have nothing to compare it to you don't mm-hmm. you don't have all the data which is the case in all of these things and I uh, another parallel that comes up comes to mind is when people tell you Mick that. Well, we think it's this and and you can't tell us what it is. You know, oh, you say it's a balloon, or oh, you say it's a, you know, uh uh-huh, like they'll poke fun at that. The same with the Wuhan origin of the, the yeah. coronavirus. They say because the exact animal hasn't been ice uh pit found or patient zero hasn't fully been found, or whatever, they'll say uh, you know, that um that you uh whatever, that you you can't give the answer, so therefore you don't. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. So if you can't give an exact answer, then their answer must be correct. Yeah. You know, it's like if you've got two or three possibilities that it might be, but you can't pick between one of them, then you know it's demons did it because yes, that's exactly. the only uh, possible explanation they can think of, or or you know it's it was manufactured in the lab and released deliberately to yep. disrupt the world economy uh, because like you can't figure out which particular animal is the intermediate uh, um, you know vector. Of course.
1: Um, and I realize we're jumping around a little bit, but there's there's a lot of, uh, let's uh, let Kevin jump Our in world. here. And uh, uh, Zoom is asking me to enter some details here. So let me uh, talk to Zoom here while I uh, ask Kevin, um, can we talk about uh, the, the zoonotic viruses in general and sort of why, why the scientists actually do sort of agree uh, on the origins so far of what we
0: know and why the media is maybe uh, maybe getting it incorrect. Uh, could you talk well, about it, that? Yeah, it's actually a pretty interesting story because zoonotic transfer of viruses is nothing new. Um, we see it happen actually very frequently. And as humans begin to continue to impinge upon uh, wild environments where zoonotic, where, where these viruses are known to exist, we know that coronaviruses exist in wild repositories and whether it's bats, pangolins, whatever, those are there. And folks like Peter Dashak and others have studied this for a long time and identifying, you know, where is the next likely outbreak going to occur? And so this is nothing new. Um, Ebola, they know came patient zero came from a bat, that it was a bat, butchered bat that they know who patient zero was and how that was transferred. So this didn't seem like a bridge too far. The reason the media gets it wrong is is kind of interesting when we consider the UFO stuff. Here, the media is jumping to what is the most convenient explanation, right? It's it's Wuhan, which is the Wuhan Center of Virology. This is where they study this stuff, and in the city is where this first outbreak happened. And I get that, you know, it, it's like uh, if there was an oil slick on the ocean, you might look at the tanker and go, "Well, maybe we should look there first. But until you have much more definitive evidence, it's very difficult to. Um, it's it's impossible to say anything more than this is just a hypothesis, at least the lab leak theory, or lab leak hypothesis, I'm sorry. Uh, The much more likely example is one of these natural repositories and when folks are uh, slaughtering uh, wild animals like bats and pangolins and everything else for flesh, um, it is possible, it is just as plausible if not more likely that that would be a, a center of the explanation. And we we may never find it in a, in a wild repository that's an exact match. But uh at least at this point, there's no evidence pointing to an internal leak. And the idea of this being a deliberate leak, I think is totally off the table. Because if you're China, you have more sophistication than to have a deliberate leak happen in the city where the virology place is. That <laughs> you know, if you're if it was gonna be a deliberate link, you might, you know. Have somebody go to Hawaii and let it out there. You know, do something that would take that would separate you geographically from it. Wuhan's a city of sixty million people. I mean, huge cities in China, and it it just it is plausible. You know, they're a population center. They're where everybody travels through Wuhan to go to other parts of China. Um, So it's very likely that either originated there or there's much more plausible reasons why Wuhan would have been a center for. The original cases of the of the coronavirus. And um, sp-
1: speaking of like the the deeper science, uh, like the cleavage site and these different things that uh, virologists discuss, um, what are some of the most obvious reasons why uh, they they do agree that uh, it didn't have a uh, man
0: made origin? Well, it doesn't have any real discrete signatures that indicate that this is something that's a manipulated virus. And there's ways that we would be able to identify certain signatures that would really be dead giveaways, but it does appear to be simply a, you know, and people talk about, you know, the furin cleavage site and all these other uh, features that occur that are not naturally, or like, they're not likely to occur in the known subset of coronaviruses. Um, so therefore it must be man-made, you know, that's a jump I can't make. Um, these things happen as natural mutations and mutations occur every day, especially in rapidly occurring viruses, uh, rapidly replicating viruses, where trillions of them occur inside an infected person so it, um, or an infected bat for that matter. So to me, it's not it's not a uh, far out hypothesis to suggest that these kinds of changes can occur naturally and do occur naturally, just that we only notice the ones that are zoonotically transferred.
1: Now, could we play the devil's advocate, perhaps, and pretend that we are, you know, if we are Peter, uh, what's his last
0: name?
1: Uh, if we're him and we're the WHO team, we're, you know, we're, we're investigating there and we, is it, you know, the security of the lab, like uh, what, what is the most plausible if we were to try to play the devil's advocate, advocate there?
0: Well, that's the big problem is, is how do you, how, especially in China, how do you get into this? If if I'm China, and you know they're always very secretive about research that happens in national uh, interest. Um, if this is a laboratory which is which has had more transparency than most Chinese laboratories, I would guess because they have worked with the West. But uh, I, it's a very um, at this point, I would not expect the most transparency from them because they are you know when some everybody's pointing the finger at you and you either know you didn't do something wrong or in the worst case, that they know they did something wrong or somebody did walk out with something. I don't think you're going to get a lot of answers or cooperation from the Chinese government on this one. I, I just don't imagine that they would be uh, excited to open the doors, open the books and say, come on in, let's take a look around, see what you like. Of you know? course, and, and that makes a lot of sense. I don't know, Lalo, if you have anything to say there because
1: uh, you're interested in those t- topics. And um...
3: Yeah, well, I uh, I'm, I'm not a scientist by any degree, but I do, you know, try to do is I even took a class online about, uh, about viruses to try and get some grasp on this. And searching around, I feel very, very bad for virologists in the world right now because I found countless articles and videos of virologists. I sent you one today uh, from one uh, named uh, 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 Kirstie Short from 2018. And I saw so many videos of virologists saying, uh, but, Vi- you know, flu viruses happen all the time and we're looking at the next pandemic coming and it's probably going to come from China. They all said this. And looking back, uh, doing some more research, you see that a lot of pandemics throughout history for centuries have originated in China from it's thought that the Black Death originated in China. The Spanish flu first started in China and started mutating from the United States and then to Europe. Um, and the it, the amount of uh, flu strains yearly, uh, about, I think it was around 80% come from China. The reason for this is because of the the, uh, the consumption of these wildlife animals that they sell in wet markets. Wet markets aren't exclusively for those kind of sling of animals, but they do sell those kind of animals there. And when people are looking to blame China, because that's the intention around the, the lab theory. Um, on a political level, which I can contribute more to is the reason behind people saying online they want the lab theory to be true more than the market theory to be true. And why is that? People see that if the virus came out of a lab, it's more intentional, it's more nefarious. It doesn't matter what, what's true, what the evidence says, they don't care. It's gonna look like China's more to blame. The problem is that's not true. China would be equally to blame if it came from a wet market, because these wet markets. Have been a problem for decades now. Virologists say they're a problem. They shouldn't have them. These are animals that the pangolin and they are eating. Jackie Chan has videos uh online uh where he's advocating and he's an activist against the consumption of wildlife uh animals uh because they have all these strange beliefs about having uh curative pro- properties and things like that. So these, all these animals, these animals that live in forests interact with bats, which pigs and, and cows that live on farms don't. These animals in forests, they do. They they get transmission from because bats carry thousands of, of viruses at the same time. For some reason, they they just don't die from. It's believed maybe it's their heart rate that's very high. I don't know much about that. Um, but they they uh, they originate a lot of the viruses in these uh, markets. And you know how much the those uh the selling of wildlife in China. How much of a big industry that is? How much money do you think that's worth? Hundred million, a billion. Seventy five billion. Wow. I'll say it again. Seventy five billion is is how much that industry of selling wildlife in China is worth. It's not an easy easy thing to stop. There's way too much money involved. So they don't want to stop it. China, it could even be that China prefer that people believe the lab theory Hmm. because because if they didn't, they would demand they close those markets. (laughs) That's a huge amount of money. And China really cares about how much money flows around their country so you know they think they're gonna they're uh, blaming china more with the lab theory not necessarily china it's so and i and i i would also say it doesn't matter if it came from a lab or a wet market it doesn't really matter both are dangerous but wet markets are way more dangerous i'd say most flu strains come from these wet markets not labs the the the, the probability yes. that there would be an accident and another virus would come from a lab is very low compared to these wet markets. The, the, these are breeding grounds specifically for viruses in these markets. So they're a problem either way. Even if it did come from a lab, the, the, these markets are a huge problem. And it's very sad to me that the conversation around closing th- this uh, this industry of selling wildlife lasted in the news cycle a week, and then everyone says it was racist to even talk about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, rabies even is a disease that comes from animal i mean there are you know the bird flu like it's in the name uh, yeah. not to sound like john stewart who said Mers that, came uh, from
3: camels there, there was another one that came i think yeah. from australia from horses they all they, and but if you look at any of those um those viruses all of them came from an animal yes but before that it originated from a bat and that i i believe so kevin can correct me because i'm a scientist is more his topic
1: yeah, and Kevin, maybe you could talk about uh, gain of function research too a, a little bit. Um, but speaking to the, you know, it is. I, I understand why people jump in a sense to the lab leak theory, just because it is so convoluted and the investigation is ongoing, and it's something that we can't look back at in full. It's like people love right the now. idea
3: of the conspiracy too. They love the idea of of, yeah. of, of like the UFO and the Amer- and the government. You know, like the X Files yeah. thing, where every thing they were investigating the government was behind it the chinese government it's was exciting
1: it, it is it is exciting but but um it's you know would be like with the gain of function research um is there not was there some politics behind um really digging into that because the us was doing some gain of function research that they almost didn't want to shed light on and there was sort of a discouragement to focus on that uh so kevin like what is gain of function research is it a preventative method
0: for pandemics as far as research goes um and how does it work in that Well, gain of function research is really one subset of what we call structure function research. So you have a virus with a DNA sequence. And the question is now, when you change that sequence, what happens? And sometimes, most of the time, when you change the sequence, nothing happens. So you get no change in function. You have, sometimes you obliterate the function. So you you make a mutation which changes the ability of this thing to be transmitted or to replicate. But sometimes you have mutations that actually cause what they call gain of function, that you have an enhancement of either its ability to replicate, its ability to infect, its ability to uh, shake hands with the receptor on the cell, its ability to do whatever, um, to zoonotically transfer. So these are things that happen when, uh, so gain of function research is sometimes the way that you can understand or try to better understand the changes that will occur that will be deleterious. It helps us make predictions and helps us make changes that can reinforce practice, uh, whether health practice, whether it's wet markets or whatever, um, also inform the development of the next generation of vaccines. And so right now, that's a hot area. How do we anticipate that changes that are occurring may affect the ability of SARS-CoV-2 to be transmitted or to be um, lethal, you know, it's lethal change, it's uh, morbidity or mortality. And that's going to be dependent upon, um, and so those that information is coming from gain-of-function research. And that's directly translating, likely right now, into pre- preparation and even perhaps stockpiling of vaccines to combat the next generation of, of virus.
1: Now, why is it uh, fraught with controversy? It, you know, is it just the security of the lab that's in question? I mean, you visited that, that specific
0: lab in Wuhan, have you not? Um, I haven't been to that particular laboratory. I've been to Wuhan before. Um, and uh, it it was one of the more polluted places I've ever been. I mean, you couldn't see down the street. Great food, though. But the, uh, the thing about uh, gain-of-function research is that nobody likes to think that laboratories or scientists are coming up with ways to make viruses more deadly. Right. right? And I think that's all it is. But realistically, you have to be able to do that kind of research to understand how the DNA sequence translates to a protein sequence that can have more, uh, that can change the uh, um, properties of that virus. It's just simple research that helps us understand the virus better. And that way we're in a better position to uh, to uh, combat it when it happens.
1: Uh, Mick or Lalo, any thoughts on that? Uh,
2: yeah, I, I think... I. What's interesting to me here is kind of the parallels that, that you could kind of raised here with uh with the stuff that I look at, particularly conspiracy theories. And uh I think you know that one thing is the the idea of of having somebody to blame is is very important. Like we've either got on the one hand this kind of freak of nature, this accident of nature, this inevitability of you know viruses mutating and, and pandemics happening, which has happened before, which is just this this um. You know, it's it's not something that you can grasp onto at a personal level. People like to have an individual or a group of people that they can point the finger to uh, and say, you know, this is is what is going on here. And this carries on, carries over very much into other conspiracy theories and even the UFO thing. If we look at 9-11 people didn't like the fact that it was just, as they describe it, a bunch of Arabs in caves uh, plotting to fly some planes into buildings. And it caused this, this huge uh, change in the world. It didn't seem proportionate that it was just a terrorist attack and then it did this, this terrible thing. And mm-hmm. so they go looking for a bigger explanation. And so we get that that same thing here happening with with the virus and the, the idea that it's you just You know, a a coronavirus that has caused a pandemic is not satisfying to people. And uh, they they want to look for people and they they pick whoever they think are the villains. Now, in China, you have people spreading conspiracy theories about the virus coming from America. They say it originated in an American military base and it was was spread that way. Uh, I'm sure. And if you go to other countries like India or uh places in south america you will get more localized versions of those conspiracies as well because people want to blame somebody and they generally pick their kind of favorite favorite villain well even just
1: uh, interject for a moment the spanish flu that we've all brought up here uh, that was named after that but it didn't originate in spain but every country had their own name for it it was the french flu the italian flu the spanish flu yeah you just blamed it on your neighbor um but continue
2: yeah, and you get the, the the Chinese coronavirus. Donald Trump was was very adamant in what he said. China to, I mean, to they're still saying that, like Charlie you know, Clark, virus call, or the they're the still calling it that. Flu. All these guys,
1: you know, they're, yeah, still, they're yeah. still calling it that, and it's it's really telling. Like it's a very one of those when people call it the China virus, you just know they're just digging their heels in that right wing kind of viewpoint, and they're not. It's a really, deliberate,
2: a deliberate attempt to uh, to place the blame on someone without without actually having to give the evidence for it. If you keep calling something something, then people will start believing that naming things is very important. Um, But you know, another thing with with the parallels here is is the issue of of complexity and science communications, and the the uh, uh, the opportunity it gives to people who want to spread conspiracy theories and disinformation is great, because most people are not going to follow the science. And you know the stuff that you know Kevin has been saying about you know the gain of function and you know, what you were saying about the protein spikes and things like that, they just you know go over the tops of the heads of people and they they they're not going to follow what you're saying. <clears throat> so instead of <clears throat> excuse me understanding uh, the arguments, they pick which expert they want to believe in. So some people are going to pick uh, like you know someone like like Kevin or someone like Fauci or uh, uh, other other experts who are. You know, more scientifically based. Other people will pick people because their conclusions line up with their, their political beliefs or their conspiracy beliefs, and we see that in in the in the con- other conspiracy theories as well. They will pick an expert. You will get this, like you say, like one or two percent within a field, <laughs> like the Pentagon, or- like
1: the guys at the Pentagon. That uh- yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, in the Pentagon, there's there's a very small. <coughs> excuse me, one second. In the Pentagon, there's a very small group of people who who believe in UFOs, and they're running this this UAP investigation program, and and they're kind of pushing a bit of an agenda. But I think the vast majority of the serious people in the Pentagon just just view this as kind of like a a silly thing that also kind of uh, overlaps with a few real issues like drones and whatnot. Uh, and you know, with, with other conspiracies like 9-11, there's an organization called Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, which has thousands of people who have some kind of uh, architecture degree or engineering degree or something like that. But that's thousands of people out of a possible set of millions of people who have equivalent qualifications. So you right. can always like find an expert who will agree with you. And that's what happens when you have complicated subjects that people don't understand. And it's a a real challenge. And part of what I do is to try to simplify the explanations to the level where the average person can understand them. Yeah, Lalo, any thoughts?
3: Um, just that, uh, well, Mick uh, mentioned that, like, people uh, want to believe that there, this had to have been something greater. I've heard that for many people personally said that it just can't be that something this big didn't have it wasn't thought out what, what didn't come from a lab it had to be in some kind of conspiracy something planned when really there's a pandemic every hundred years or so really and we were just due for one um but we just were not used to it personally. so we um there's people who actually remember the Spanish flu so so that so that, uh, they're used to it maybe but the rest of us thought this this seems like unprecedented this this must be. A bigger plan. There's been plenty of uh, global pandemics in in us that were even worse than this one. Um, I would say also on the point of uh, how people seek their information, uh, that people on in, in the majority do not look to the to the best sources um, on a topic, and that is the overwhelming majority of people when they're looking when. When it's a pandemic and you should be study, getting information from a people, don't get it from this the the same person they always follow. I even I have a term for this, like prophetic information seeking, that people have a Joe Rogan, a Ben Shapiro, a, a somebody that they follow who who comments on everything, whether it's politics or or uh, or international news or medicine or. Anything like that, which th- it's impossible. They can be a, uh, an expert on every topic, but their job is to comment. So they'll comment whether they know anything about the topic or not, because that's their job and need to keep in the news cycle and keep commenting. And people want to hear generally from the same person over and over and over. They don't look for new people. I noticed, you know, m- my thing is if there's a new topic, okay. There's a coronavirus, I need to search for who are the top virologists that, that I should be looking for The people who have written books. No people. Go to the same same person over and over. And this is uh getting worse with uh with social media because now people can follow that individual who has a Twitter, a TikTok, a YouTube channel, and they can give their voice on so many mediums and give you so much opinions. And people decide, as Mick was saying, uh this person aligns with my ideas and my beliefs, and and this person will give them all the news that they need and all uh, every opinion on every topic because daily, they have to put out content. And you and I, Derek, know that putting out content, you want to monetize this kind of thing. You need to always be on everything. And it's not everyone who's humble is going to say, yeah, I don't know anything about that topic. So I'm not going to comment on it. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good indicator to know actually who is legitimately talking out of their ass, <laughs> so to speak, is the person who who uh, knows when to shut up. The person who says, I don't. I'm actually not a, uh, an expert on this topic, so I'm not going to say anything. Maybe I'll just interview somebody who does, possibly something along those lines. But I don't have an opinion, and you you'll see that there are certain characters in in social media who will never say that. They'll never say I don't know. I'm I'm not. An, I'm not. I have no opinion on this. There's no way I could be an expert to have an opinion. You know, on coronavirus within a week that it started. No way. No, they'll, they'll give one. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um...
2: Did any yeah, of you I think have- that kind of goes back to yeah. sorry, goes back to like uh, talk radio. Actually, it just kind of predates uh, uh, you know, social media. People would actually become like Rush Limbaugh, ditto heads, and they they think like every every opinion I hold, I have to kind of go through the Rush Limbaugh filter of uh, social. It's not just like social media, but I think that's probably made it worse because now we've got a much narrower uh, view on the world because you can just have uh, one person who has perhaps ten thousand followers. And those ten thousand followers become like uh, his his acolytes who who view the world through his his lens, and some of them become very very extreme, and it, it becomes like cult like uh, to a, to a large degree, where they they have this charismatic leader who is just basically a pundit on YouTube who's giving an opinion on everything,
3: prophetic information seeking. And That's what I called yeah, it. Yeah, right? because it's very cult
1: like. Yeah. But, uh, that you know, I, I'll i confess, I uh sort of was a Joe Rogan cult uh member and I was proud of it. I was very you know, but especially in like the, you know, 2010 to 2015, I mean, there's he had a lot of great stuff. That's how I found Kevin Volta, it's how I uh you know, I believe I may have found Nick through that, I'm not sure, but um, I was that yeah, you know, so um, there are some good things that come of these certain pundits or whatever, but uh, when some of them start to become super biased or they sway to, to one direction, uh you know, and people get older too, and I sort of grew out of it, I suppose. But you know, it's a whole meme these days. If you you find a guy on Tinder and he likes Joe Rogan, that's a red flag to. I don't know you know. There's all these memes about uh, how he's changed a little bit. Uh, shout out to Joe Rogan, though. Uh, hope he's doing well. And um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but but Lalo, that's uh, you're interested in cults too. I mean, you you must see that parallel. Uh, you know, it's basically what you're saying that uh, what Mick was just saying that. Uh, these guys are prophets, and they're followed, uh, you know, off the cliff, so to speak. Oh, Lalo got muted. Sorry, you you cut out for a second for me. Oh, I was know. just saying yeah, this, the parallel. You must see that that the, the cult, the cult like thinking, um, because you're you're into cults and that. Uh...
3: Yeah, I mean, for, the first thing I'll say since we're if we're going to start talking about cults is uh, <laughs> I've noticed for for a long time is that uh, a lot of people uh, misuse the term. And not that there's a definitive way of, of maybe defining cults. I, I don't think necessarily there is, but um, I've, for example, I've heard Joe Rogan talk about, you know, any religion, all oh, that's a cult and this is a cult. Um, it's, it's, it becomes used very loosely personally from, you know, looking into cults and interviewing people who have been in cults, I would say cult is not the belief system itself, which a lot of people refer to this religion as a cult. You could, in a religion, but not in a cult, or cult and not in a religion. Uh, the cult aspect is actually how the, the, the social construction around around the ideology, more than the ideology itself. So you could be, let's say, a Catholic. But if you don't barely go to a church, you don't really interact with too many other Catholics, or you're interact with a lot of people who are not Catholic, you're not in a cult. But if you're isolated, everyone you know is from the church, and your church controls around their beliefs, everything you do, now they're in a cult. And this is why cults don't even have to be religious. A lot of people are in cults around diets or um, uh, spirituality or or even sometimes exercise and, and these things, or just around uh, cults of personality, pe- uh, people who believe in someone who's not necessarily God. Uh, the Osho cult, right, from a wild, wild country, he wasn't necessarily a God, but there was a cult around him. Um, But that's what I believe makes a a person in a cult is when is the isolation of a community where everyone lives and around each other they uh, they dictate certain rules of how to live and there's either a person or and or an ideology surrounding that. So I would say that is a good kind of standard. So to talk about when we talk about cults, it's a it's more of a social
0: construction. Well, it's also the uh, failure to question. The uh, failure to question the tenets of a cult that maintain it and also removing ideas that challenge it. You know, there's a lot of interesting ties between cults and also the, just the social interaction around these controversial areas and the social tribes that people subscribe to, which continue to reinforce their ideas just because they are um, they agree with the tenets of that group. And you see it in these conspiracy groups, whether it's UFO folks or anti-GMO folks or anti-vaccination, they tend to rally around and reinforce the central message of that group and defend the leaders, the thought leaders who promote the ideas they agree with. And it's very interesting stuff. And
3: even, for example, this is why some people will call like vegans a cult, uh, not because there's well, there is an ideology, not a religious one, but that they will isolate themselves from anyone who's not vegan. So, also like, you're not part of my life, and and you must have the same ideology as me, live as I do. And there's, as you're saying, there's very low tolerance of anyone who doesn't believe the cult believes. You must be in line with this.
1: Um, how can we, you know, the the other thing that just comes to mind there briefly is. Uh, these cult-like thinking people, UFO Twitter or uh, GM, anti-GMO folks, um, they tend to sort of chastise you. Both like Mick and Kevin, for example, they'll they'll attack your character. They'll they'll say, "Oh, he looks mad here." Like they'll comment on your videos and like comment on your emotions or, or th- th- to try to uh, sort of assassinate your character any way they can. With they'll they'll never attack your arguments. Yet they'll bring up logical fallacies, you know, and then try to. Try to just make you sound like uh, that you Damn. don't know what you're talking about, but but you guys always remain calm, and I think that's like part of what makes you know people like me. Uh, as I'm watching or listening to you, go okay. I, I I can tell that this guy is remaining calm. He's not getting emotional. Like, and then these other there's all these other people that are just attacking them nonstop. And
3: I'm 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 Hispanic and part Arabs. So remaining calm is <laughs> not, not in my blood, <laughs> and I'm fine with it. I, I'm fine with people
1: not yeah. losing. Their- you know, it, it's even in the Bitcoin community, or the crypto community. You see the same thing where these guys. It is a is like a cult because guys like Peter Schiff. Not that I'm saying he knows everything, but he'll say some. Comment about crypto that it's, it could go to zero, it's not worth anything. And these guys go, ah, old man laughing or old man yelling at cloud, like they'll just right. you know, <laughs> say that he's old. And it's like, you're not attacking his arguments. But
2: yeah, well, I, I find the remaining calm is, is just something that works. So it's, it's a practical thing. Like, you know, if you, if you start getting angry at people and chatting at them, it's, it's not very productive. So remaining calm works. And when people come to you with personal attacks, uh sometimes they're kind of doing it in good faith in that they actually think these things about you to be true and so you can't just simply dismiss it or or get angry at at them for saying these things They, they might be kind of revealing something about the way they think uh by saying these things that are kind of hurtful about you like recently people in ufo twitter have picked up on a thing i wrote in in my book about how as a, a young child, I was, I was scared of, uh, of a book I read about aliens because there was a, a scene in it where this disembodied hand was reaching down towards somebody and that, that really scared me and it gave me nightmares for a few nights. And uh, I, I'm kind of annoyed that that happened. And people say now that on Twitter, quite seriously, they, they make the argument that my my debunking shouldn't be listened to because they're based in childhood trauma which has made me pathologically obsessed with debunking everything about UFOs and aliens, because when I was 10 years old, I read this book that that gave me nightmares a few times. Uh, And I think, you know, this is ridiculous, of course, but it it also kind of speaks to these individuals as actually searching for a reason as to why I don't believe their evidence. So from their perspective, they think they have all this wonderful evidence, and they think that their case is being made and it's been proven already. And then they see me come in, you know, someone who's a fairly intelligent guy who sees all the same evidence that they can't, that they see, and yet somehow I come to a different conclusion. And so they're searching for an explanation as to why I don't come to the same conclusion as they do. And this is what they come up with. So if I address that in a kind of a serious way and explain to them, you know, yeah, I I was briefly scared of aliens, but then I became a big science fiction fan and now I love aliens and they're great Mm -hmm. and I'd love aliens to come visit and talk to them as a real person and they can kind of get to know me a little bit more as a real person and they can see that that explanation doesn't actually make sense. Then again, they have to try to think, you know, well, why doesn't he agree with me? Maybe then they could perhaps give themselves permission to, to question their own assumptions because they've, they've eliminated that one possibility. So if I was just to get angry with them for saying these ridiculous things and dismiss them and block them, I wouldn't be able to get through to them. But by actually engaging them, even on such a ridiculous point, I think you can actually make progress. Yeah. Kevin, do you feel the same way?
0: Yeah. I'd love to jump in on that because yeah. for me, it's a question of who am, whose trust am I trying to earn? And so when I undergo personal attacks, which happen all the time, you know, whether it's saying I'm a, you know, white beater, child molester, all those horrible things that people say about me, because I teach science. They, I mean, it's just horrible. If you Google image me or you look me up online, you, you would never trust me for anything. And that's the idea to erode my trust. And if I come firing back with as equal volatile, inflammatory, angry statements to them as they do to me, I alienate that entire group of people that doesn't know who to trust. You know, And so for me to win their trust, I have to work with class and I have to work with uh, evidence and I have to work from a place of trying to first earn trust and show people that I'm on the same side they are that we're asking hard questions, that we share the same values, we're interested in the same thing at the end of the day, which is, you know, better environment and and sustainable farming and sustainable farming, you know, know, this is around the area of genetic engineering, for instance, uh, in in terms of viruses, in terms of, uh, um, you know, public health. You know, those are the things that I care about. And if I come out as a flamethrower, it turns people off. What turns people on is when you are a survivor in the face of very deep personal attacks and when you let people know that they distributed your credit card information or they your social security number or their you know the things that I've gone through with respect to simply teaching science i find i get a greater following from that so uh, operating with class operating to earn trust that's really the secret to being a better science communicator
1: yeah. And I think what you guys both just said, just to, to me, at least it proves that you care about the evidence, you care about the issues and, and, and you, you do care about the truth and um, you don't want to step on people's values. You want to share, share those good values that are out there because you wouldn't be pressing so hard to keep doing the work. Um, we know Mick's re- maybe retired now, but uh, Kevin, I believe still, has, you know, he has a job, but he's, you guys both uh, are doing this for the love of it and, and and for the truth and the evidence around it, not, not just for your own personal gain or grifting uh, like a lot of these political pundits are. Lalo, I don't know if you're a grifter or not, are you? <laughs> <laughs> If I'm a grifter on the worst in the world because
3: I've never made a penny from social media. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually I've calculated, I think it's around like six thousand dollars over the years that I've spent just trying to be on social media and podcasts and everything. I don't, I've never made money from it.
1: Yeah. yeah. it,
3: It would just it would be too hard. Um I think you could it could happen over a long period of time of building an audience, but the only way to build an audience overnight is the only way is to uh, appease and speak to a certain group with a certain amount of with a certain kind of beliefs and i just i don't fit in anywhere uh politically or or in any kind of way uh any group i'm in and this is not didn't start in social media this happened to me in life people inviting me to some kind of political meeting they thought i was kind of on their side but then the second i started questioning i'm like yeah but they're you know you're wrong. You might be wrong here. There's some errors here. Maybe the other side has a point here. Kicked out. Get go away. We don't want to see you. So it's if you're like that, you're not gonna get get a uh, make money overnight in social media. And yeah. um, and I'm fine with it. I'm fine with with um with just having an opinion. I'm also different from Mick and Kevin. Um, May I just been l- longer on social media? I'm not sure, but that's I, I did at some point think about like actually changing people's minds through social media and, and, and having debates, I've given up on that idea. I find Hmm. it way too time consuming and frustrating. I simply put out my, my views, my opinion, what I'm, what I'm reading about here. It is, you can look at it, but to actually one by one change people's minds, that's just too much work for too little return. Um, and, and it's in the, the true believers, like it's going to be very very hard like most of the audience that somebody like mick or kevin or myself are going to get are really people who are who are believing a certain idea but are not that invested in it they're kind of like you would say like center left center right something like that in political terms um but the true true believers yeah you might be able to deconvert them Make them series, but it's it's work, it's work, and I'm I'm, I'm
0: getting too old. <laughs> Dude, it, it's tired. Can I jump in on that you know real one's quick? Me for this, I, I, yeah, I, go I, ahead. I, I jump in on that real quick because I love the micro conversions, and whether it's vaccination or whether it's genetic engineering or anything about food and farming, the emails that I get, not as much as I used to, but almost on a daily basis, from a mom saying that her kid can go to a birthday party and now have a piece of birthday cake without freaking out about it. And that the kids can have normal lives and they can have friends or that somebody said that they went and got vaccinated or that they talked their spouse into being vaccinated or their parents. You know, those are the kinds of emails that just light me up because it it it, it says that it is working.
1: There might and be a I,
3: difference then in, in our topics because in uh, biology, you see like real tangible results from, from uh, convincing somebody of something with their health and, and things like that. But in the political sphere, <laughs> there's, there's really? no, it's a thankless job.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: I see it in conspiracy theories, which you wouldn't expect. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you're arguing with conspiracy theorists online and you think of them as true believers. But you know, the thing is, you never actually see it in the moment. You're never going to be talking to someone online and then they, they're going to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to drop all my beliefs and change now. It happens over a long period of time and often over, over many months or or years, and quite often it's years. And I've had people come to me, like the the emails I get from people, sometimes they specifically talk about how they were looking at me engaging with somebody else usually. And they see that the other person was just resorting to all these these, these insults and nonsensical repeated arguments where I was patiently and politely trying to engage them and raising these good points. And they say that initially they were on the side of the other guy. They were on. They were the angry person. They were like Mick. What are you doing? Like you're spouting the government's uh, conspiracy theory. Like uh, debunking. Uh, how much do they pay you? And they think that at first. Hmm. But you know, over time, they they see what you're doing, and they see that you are a real person, and uh, it's it it does work. You know, you, you're not you're not going to change someone's mind there. But you you plant seeds and you create a mental framework within which they can eventually kind of get themselves out of whatever rabbit hole they're in. So you know, I I think even though it feels very frustrating talking to people online, it it does actually have an effect and it can actually help quite a few people sometimes. That's true. Well, the, just one to, of
3: the. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, uh, th- I think one of like the the base problems is is a. Uh, is how people get their information more than what information they have. And that's a very big and, uh, complicated, uh, problem that I feel just too overwhelmed as some individual in, in Chile to, to solve through Twitter, because for example, in, in Chile, it, it, the, the application for sending messages, WhatsApp, I'm not, I don't know if you guys use it so much, but it's yeah. very big in Chile. It's the main application for message sending here and, people will forward these blogs or just these written posts that are very long, just forward them them to each other, audios or or videos of just all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories. I mean, when COVID started immediately, there was just tons of of fake information about how drinking alcohol can kill the virus in your system and things like that. And people will send them to me or people will show them to me. And I'm just like, you know, like I'll, I'll say, well, if you, if you just Google it, if you just see, you know, there, if you Google that topic, you yeah. first result is that, you know, from very legitimate news source with uh, from an expert saying, re- addressing that topic and saying this is a myth and I'll show them that and they'll reject it. I'm like, ah, but those are those people are sold out. Those people, you know, are money from someone and they'll take some forwarded message o- over that. So, you know, I even if i was to try and change people's minds i'm 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 sure like you know i've even had people say like i've changed their minds over times it happens sure but on grander scale i think you know we're still at the at, at a time where some kind of internet education is needed as far as how you find information because we're given this blessing of of the internet of all, of of being able to look for anything but not everyone is very good at identifying what is a legitimate source versus what is just a random for sort of saying anything. You know, I, I, for a while I thought, well, most would realize maybe the New York Times over, you know, Peter George's blog on, you know, from, and he's from Kansas or somewhere and wearing a MAGA hat saying, you know, anti vax is, is true because of this. You'd think so, but not actually, Overwhelming majority of people actually are not good at filtering information.
1: Yeah, I wanted to actually. That's a point that I have written down here. I wanted to jump to uh, coincidentally, um, just general education and maybe education reform. Now, for example, uh, here in Ontario and Canada, there, everybody's been saying for the last 10 years, you know, we need to teach kids personal finance because we got out of high school and didn't know what to do with our checkbook. And we, you know, people are in debt and all this stuff and the Ontario, uh, they must be doing this elsewhere as well, but they're, they're starting to introduce this into cu- to the curriculum, um, in the earlier grades, like basic personal finance. And that to, to, to everybody makes so much sense. Um, now, I mean, this world is changing so fast. And we talk about information literacy and media literacy and that. Um, and probably once we utter this, now it's going to happen, you know, but this is to me something that needs to happen, sort of an education reform. We we have this system of education that's built on these archaic methods of teaching. Um, that's a whole topic we could do hours on as well. But um, I don't know if any of you guys have opinions on that, because what Lala just said is so important, I think, for young people, especially as as they're like, right? babies have iphones in their hands now so um the the whole identifying sources thing and 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 yeah. that. so i don't know if you guys uh, have uh, i think it's uh, your... it's
2: very important but i think we're also what you're talking about there is is kind of a long-term solution uh you, you you're going to get people catch them whilst they're young and yeah in then in five to ten years time things are going to improve but you know right now we have a, a problem with the people that we have who have already gone through the education system and we're not going to be able to to Change the way they think, and we're not even going to be able to you know try to persuade them to use other information sources you know, very easily. So I think definitely it would be great to have education reform and teach more critical thinking about examining sources and comparing different versions of the story and looking at the motives of the people behind the stories and looking at the quality of sources, things like that's very, very important. Uh, and and teaching the basic. Uh, ability of simple science and and math to to be able to to study that, but you're also you're going to get people who fail those courses. You're going to get people who who don't are not very good at science and they just simply don't understand. It. So you're still going to have this problem, and I think you're still going to have to figure out how do we talk to people who have got sucked into the conspiracy theories and get them out. And um, you know, one of the things that you know I, I, I talk about a lot is the trajectory people go through when they go in and out of the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. And a lot of the times when, when, when someone, just they get red-pilled, someone tells, shows them a video or something like that, and they get really excited about it, and they start learning a whole bunch of new stuff. And during that time, it's very, very difficult to talk to them. But eventually, they kind of reach a plateau where they do actually become a bit more open to new ideas. And so uh, a lot of what I'm doing is kind of helping people get to that. That plateau, this this kind of turning point where they actually are able to examine evidence. And a lot of the stuff you do along the way doesn't seem like it's actually having any effect at all. But when they get to that point, things kind of slot into place, because you're giving them a kind of a mental framework to to judge these things. Uh, It would be great if we could instill that in people at childhood. But uh, I think there's probably even going to be political opposition to things like that. You know, critical thinking some people think critical thinking is uh is a leftist plot to uh, yeah
1: there could be a maga teacher right or something um but also just to interject there a bit the uh we're caught up here now because we're talking about good sources new york times blah, 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 but these are the ones that are posting these articles that the lab science says the lab leak is is plausible and ufos yeah. are here um so we're even caught in our own conundrum here now because we're uh, right. So what do you guys think about that? Then on the converse, like the, the the media itself, not not media literacy from the public, but the media itself. Are they interviewing the correct, the right scientists? Are they are they doing their due diligence at these, uh, you know, bigger institutions that we trust? Um, Kevin, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Like, Kevin, did they call you? <laughs> did, they, did they not call you?
0: I, I could go on this one all day because the, the major media, New York Times is the one that threw me under the bus. And in 2015, wrote a story about me saying that I was uh, on the an insider on the corporate lobbyists, blah blah blah. Like nothing further from the truth. Yet it was the story that the activists that handed them the story wanted to tell, as it would show in discovery in a later lawsuit. The bottom line is is that what we needed are better consumers. So yes, the media does need to improve. The fact that we lost a lot of science desks and science editors because of the internet and the loss of print media, formal print media was a big deal. And a lot of our most trusted sources do have horrible soft science. Even Scientific American uh, goes off the deep end now. Uh, you know, from the 18, whatever 40s this this periodical was present, a great respected source. but now not so hot. Um, I think what we have to do is be better connoisseurs of scientific information. And one of the most important parts of that kind of goes back to the previous conversation is that we have to teach people that it's okay to be wrong. And that it's that there's a certain humility that you have to operate with humility that you may be making a mistake and that the position you hold and the beliefs you hold most dearly may be incorrect. And so challenge them. Give me the best evidence that refutes what I believe. And that's what scientists do. That's what I do every single day. I don't want to be wrong when we submit that paper. You know, we want we want to be our own toughest critic. Unfortunately, there's a weird narcissism that goes around where we're searching only for the things that reinforce the bias that we hold. And that's what happens in the general population to the point where we start to form these weird little cliques and cults where... We only seek the stuff that matches our silo, and then we seek the media that agrees with our silo. And politics is a great example, and you know that's why you know that, that we really need to start looking at every single occurrence with a very skeptical eye, saying, "How am I being fooled?" And so when I teach my classes, I love teaching about the nuts and bolts of life, and we talk about DNA and we talk about proteins, but we also talk about how we rigorously evaluate something with a scientific lens and how do we know we're not being fooled and what are the typical cognitive mistakes we make and that has been in my life as a as a scientist and as a scholar the most interesting part is how we fool how we are fooled and how we are manipulated and the psychology of that and it's much more intricate and much more (laughs) much more interesting than uh, any molecule I can think of.
1: Yeah. And just to reiterate what you said, it's it's a we. We are all susceptible to these biases. Even us, as we call ourselves skeptics, or, or if you're a scientist, or it, it doesn't matter if you're not just a layman. We, we're all susceptible to these. We're all human. And that goes back to the UFO sightings and the people say, well, a Navy pilot or the Pentagon guy said this. And uh, well, there can be a guy who works at the Pentagon who just believes in aliens. I mean, like Lalo said at the very beginning, he he believes there could be aliens. I mean, just show me the evidence that there's one flying around in the in the ship. But uh, until then, uh, we'll, we'll reserve our belief. Um, you know, and we and again, we all have religious beliefs as well, and those are even harder to to nail down with uh, with evidence and facts because a lot of it is philosophy and it's afterlife and different things that we can only pontificate about and um yeah so there's going to be huge can i as well. can i
3: comment on on the the topic of uh like looking at the new york times as a legitimate source because i was the one who brought them up and uh and i totally agree with, with uh, what everyone said that new york times uh even scientific american now or bbc or whatever it is makes a lot of mistakes and i've seen this Endless times now watching CNN or BBC or DW or any any other news source, them getting things kind of wrong to completely, utterly opposite of what they're saying. Um, You know, especially in the last two years, there's been a lot of radical political changes in Chile. And I've seen the international news reporting on it. And it's God awful. I would say they got 80 percent of it wrong. Um, they were just talking to certain groups of people and and those people were just basically lying about what was going on. So that happens definitely. But still, I would say when you're looking for what's going on or what is the truth, you should still look to those sources. But I would just, you know, to go into it further, I would say the What you have to do is not stop at one source, because if you do, then you're doing what I said before. You're doing prophetic information seeking. If you only look at the New York times, if you only look at scientific American, they make mistakes and that's why you should read them, but you, then you should check another source and then another source. If you want to know about UFOs, you could look at Mick. And then who else is a big expert on this topic? If you're looking into virology, Kevin, I'm sure is is a great person to look into, but I think Kevin would agree. You shouldn't just listen to him. I doubt he would ever say that. Oh, if you want to know about uh, virology and viruses, I'm the only source you should look at. I'm sure you would say, no, you should look at many other places. These are, there's this book you should look at. There's this great person. And and that's how you start leaning towards truth. Then, and as you start to learn about a topic, you start to identify who knows what they're talking about. Does this person actually, you can, you know, Kevin can tell, Mick can tell who's, who's, who's also an expert in this, really, other people claim to be, but you guys know enough about your subject that you can say, ah, he knows what he's talking about. And that's, that's what makes these things still very useful. That, yes, they get it wrong, but it's about diversification uh, of what you know. But very rarely do people who follow a certain pundits or a certain blog or a certain YouTube channel and they follow it religiously, very rarely do they go to other sources of information. And that's that's the problem. It's not really how much a person gets things wrong. It's how much diversification you have in what you study and, and how much you look to the person who seems to be the biggest expert in what, what they're saying. Experts can still be wrong, but can really 50 experts across the world be wrong maybe but rarely you know it, it let more rare let's say it's it's less common you know so that that's that's i still think is a big problem and and to talk about youtubers and these pundits online one of the things that i also look at as a red flag from these people and i've pointed out some red flags already is that i noticed that the ones who want to keep this prophetic information seeking towards them is that they rarely mention experts to look at. Rarely will certain ones say, follow Ben Shapiro. Will he say, oh, on this topic, you guys should read this book and go this way. Go look at that YouTube channel. Someone else. Go look at uh, this other guy who's a way bigger expert on this topic than me. They'll rarely redirect you away from them because it's not, again, it's about finance. It's about money. It's about keeping the focus on me. And But a real intellectual who cares about actually educating people and changing people's minds, as Mick and Kevin has talked about, they will direct you at good information. And they and you both know that good information doesn't just come from yourself. It comes from reading other books and looking at, at certain experts.
2: Yeah, I would, I would like to do that. But I think uh, Kevin's probably got an advantage uh, over me here in that he's in a uh, kind of a real science field. And you know, I'm I'm in the ufology field, and there aren't very, very yeah. many. I study serious... religion I'm more than both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's, there's <laughs> at least there's the aliens of...
3: from other planets are are kind are very are very possible, but <laughs> yeah, field, it's, it's kind of it's kind of science in a way ways, it. because it's you yeah. know it's
2: aliens and space travel and whatnot, but yeah. it's not so much magic. Uh, yeah. But but even so, the if, if you go looking for other sources, you could quite easily fall into the mistake with UFOs of thinking that all the sources are pointing towards UFOs being aliens, because there's so much media about it now. And there isn't really that many serious scientists, if any, really. I'm not even a scientist. I'm just you know a guy who's good at identifying videos of, of, of flying objects. There's very few people actually... Who, you, who I can redirect to. I mean, I would love to be able to say, why well, go and read the work of, of this guy on this topic. But you know, there's, a, there's a few guys from like 30 years ago who did a lot of serious work on it. So you know, Kevin's got uh, got an advantage there because he, he can actually point to a whole bunch of things, scientific studies and, and books and other scientists and other science communicators in this field. But uh, hopefully it's it's changing a little bit now with the, the media attention on, on UFOs. More people are getting into it and... Uh, it would be great if uh, some some heavyweights could actually weigh in on the topic. Yeah, speaking speaking of that, uh,
1: now that we've zoomed out a, a, a bunch, I want to zoom in again just to close off and uh, on both major topics. And so, uh, with the UFO stuff, um, you know, we have these questions like, while well, the the disclosure is supposed to come, is it this month that it's supposedly? On yeah, its it way? could
2: be in the next few days.
1: Right. So that and. You know the comments like where are the Air Force to comment on this? Where where are certain experts that haven't said or or, or people think that uh you know they they do know what it is but they haven't said it yet. Or, so there's that. I want to ask Mick about and then also uh, the, the most current up to date sort of um, investigation into the origins of COVID. We can finish with that as far as like will we ever know or or, or not? So Mick uh, with this UFO stuff, what do you expect to come in the uh, disclosure or in the uh, well,
2: there's this uh, UAP report that's coming out now. The, the reason we have a UAP report coming out is that uh, Marco Rubio inserted some language into a bill, and he was persuaded to do that by a guy called Chris Mellon, who works for another guy called Tom DeLong, who was the lead singer of Blink-182, like a rock band. Uh, so it's not like the the, the government, has in its infinite wisdom, decided to investigate UFOs and produce a report. It's, it's kind of like a there's a bit of... Uh, political horse trading, a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of influence peddling, and they've, they've got this language in this bill, and they get in this report, and the report itself is going to be on the back of uh, the UAP task force, which is a real thing, but it's that itself is kind of descendant from the the ATIP program, which was this program started by Senator Harry Reid and his friend Rob Bigelow. Uh, who is this? This uh, this millionaire from Nevada, and uh, tied in that there's this other guy, this 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 journalist George Knapp, who first got Harry Reid interested in UFOs. There's this tiny group of people that's having this vast influence on this this narrative, and they they have kind of forced through this this UFO stuff. There's something interesting I found out in the last few days is that uh, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Authority, has a procedure for reporting UFOs. And if you look it up now, uh, all it says is, if you want to report a UFO, report it to a UFO reporting center, like the National UFO Reporting Center, which is just this, this website that collates these, these data. But in earlier versions of it, it said, call this number and speak to the Bigelow Airspace uh, uh, Scientific Board. And you know there, somehow, Robert Bigelow a UFO and paranormal guy managed to get the job of being the FAA's official receiver of UFO reports. And now he is kind of the guy who's pushing this whole thing forward to this other report. So it's a small group of people, and I don't think they're doing that much. So I don't really expect very much from from the report. Uh, It's going to be a list of, of things that they've not been able to identify. It's not going to have any conclusions. It's not going to say it's aliens. Uh, it'll just be kind of open-ended, and it'll um, perhaps create a few more questions and not answer any. So, not a lot, I think, is my prediction for what's going to happen there.
1: You sound like a skeptic. Where are you? A little skeptical here,
2: <laughs> with good reason. With good reason, if you examine these things, they uh, they don't add up. Fair enough.
1: So uh, now, Kevin, uh, what do you think? Um, I mean, this investigation with the WHO team. You know, they they they've said that they. They've asked their questions. They were answered sufficiently. Um, We understand that China is not going to want to open every single door. um, But and we may never find the exact animal that this supposedly jumped from or to. So but what do you think or what do you anticipate might be um,
0: upcoming in that investigation? Or what should we wait for? I can tell you what uh, what I know from human psychology is that if they go out there today and they find a bat, and that bat's got a SARS-CoV-2 virus that matches the sequence exactly to the one that comes from, uh, that's caused all the problems, you will have 50% of the people in the world who say it was all fake. And that it was obviously the Chinese government going out and infecting bats with the virus. And that it was all planted, you know? So, th- and it's the same thing with the UFO stuff that if that report comes out and says that, um, you know, these were atmospheric anomalies that were blah, 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 whatever they say, whatever they conclude, people are going to reject it. And it's because we're already in our bias silo. You know, we're already there. And so it's going to take a lot more than evidence to shift us. It's going to take trusted sources of information to communicate those ideas. And that's where, you know, I appreciate when folks like Mick and 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 th- where you're trying to be straight with people and trying to earn the trust that way. And it is a marathon, not a sprint. And um, I'm in mile five of that marathon, I think, with the things that I try to teach about. But this is this is the environment that we're in. People are so and it's going to take a long time to get our way out of it and we're going to have to do it.
1: Well, uh, Lalo, any closing thoughts? I mean, I personally think they're all aliens flying these ships and the China, the, the president of China made this virus himself. So well, I don't know, Lalo. I, again, you...
3: I have to insist I'm less of an op- optimist at this point than uh, Kevin and Mick. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot for every person they deconvert, a thousand more are converted, unfortunately. And unfortunately, people who spread conspiracy theories are much astronomically more popular than people who deconvert uh, debunk conspiracies and i would just say like recently uh you you, we, you and i uh did a spaces on on twitter about uh the subject i'm interested in which is mandatory vaccinations and it was just as an example i see it as as it's a, in a situation where you really can't wait until people become scientifically literate the ufo Conspiracies really do no harm to the world, but the anti-vax uh and you know, the 5G and all these other crazy uh conspiracy theories uh that keep people from getting vaccinated, they're too big, they're too widespread, and you can't wait to for everyone to to be educated. Um, and this is where I at this point in my life I'm kind of not as big a believer in personal freedoms maybe, or not so much of a libertarian, because I think there you can't wait until people make the right decision in these cases. And uh, I think vaccinations should be mandatory. I just posted today, uh, we just had the the conversation last week and this morning on the news in Chile, there's a big headline, they were having people debate, question uh, mandatory vaccinations, question mark. So it's already starting, you know. And I, I, I posted, it, as you saw on Twitter, that I believe that many countries might start doing this, or at least debating about it during this year, maybe next, because I just don't. Uh, I think there's too many people uh, believing conspiracy theories, misinformation. I see it getting worse. Is my point. I don't see things getting better with misinformation and conspiracy theories. I think the internet has given a space for, for, for. Uh, for people who spread conspiracy theories to spread them even more. And I see that they're extremely popular and I, and I think people who debunk them are a tiny minority. And I think, you know, it's a great thing what what Kevin and and McDade, I just wish they had bigger audiences. Well, just
1: to just to interject, we're seen as uncool by a lot of people. It's not fun, the stuff that we talk about and being a skeptic. My friends are the same. We have it's a lot fun of fun. It's fun to believe there.
3: in conspiracy theories. It's way more to, fun to to, to to debunk them, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: it's just kind of seen as lame and uncool yeah. and not not fun. Yeah,
0: nobody likes a party pooper.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But Kevin, I don't know what you think. Do you, I mean, I've always said when the people are scared of mandatory vaccines, I say, well, that's never even been on the table. It's not going to be a thing. Um, they do it. They like prefer to do it with education. And, and uh, you know, it goes against certain rights. I don't know. Do you think that could be a possibility in certain countries or? Well, that's a really tough
0: one because you're talking about the rights of the of the uh, immunocompromised and those who can't be vac- vaccinated, you know, in frequent Frequent, frequent cases. Well, they here. would have a. Hypothetically, they would have an exception, but yeah. Let, let's but say but the people. But I'm thinking. I'm thinking medical... more in terms of their rights as um, they can't be vaccinated, so everyone else should be mandatorily vaccinated to insulate them from the virus. That's kind of where I was going, and um, I, I'm a big fan of mandatory vaccination, not from a government mandate side, but from a culture side where we live in a scientific culture that can persuade people of the right thing to do. And I think that when we start making mandates and bans, that's when it gets real tricky because then you start getting people prickly about their personal freedoms. What we have to do is identify the ways that we can change the culture. How do we get thought leaders of all political stripes? How do we get people on board from all different Um, persuasions to say, this is the best thing you can do for your community, the best thing you can do for your family, best thing you can do for you. And if you had, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump hold hands and say that on on national TV. Well, Trump did say, though, it was the Trump vaccine, right? Project, you know, we know that uh, Mm -hmm.
1: Trump said Trump got it. He said it's great, but there's still all these people that
0: don't. Yeah, he has not been overly vocal about the about the utility of this. And I think there is a political division there that that you can keep people um, uh, separate or siloized by the folks. in. And I live in rural Florida. I'm surrounded by people who are unvaccinated with Trump signs still in their yard. And, and they will, and are nice folks, you know, folks who I, I hang around with. But the, but the bottom line is, is that they still deny the science. They even deny the results of an election. That's fine. But, um, but it shows you how far we have to go. We have to change the culture. And if those leaders of, uh, you know, we talk about cults and cults of personality, if we had those individuals come out very clearly and say, we need to do this because this is the right thing to do. For all of us, for our communities, for you know, for our families, for our nations, uh, for the world, you know, those messages I think would resonate. And just a question: so, the the research that I did
1: on mandatory vaccines, I mean, from what I found, it's it's fraught on the left for certain reasons, it's fraught on the right for certain reasons. So they they figure it's not useful to get the actual percentage of vaccinations up to make it mandatory but why are some mandatory like the ones that kids have to take in schools and that and covet is not because it's too new or
0: what is the reasoning behind why that wouldn't i think it's, it's been because it's been, been, it's been, been, been politicized it. oh. and that nobody ever nobody ever politicized you know measles mumps rubella and most of those mandatory vaccination handouts or um, the mandates came from uh, there are holdovers from the days of polio, where children were going to, where children were dying in iron lungs, you know. Where this is, this is what we used to remember when we talked about vaccines. Now it's a very convenient way to ignore technology and to segregate people into camps that op- oppose each other's thinking. I think it's a, it's an ideological rift, not a scientific one.
1: Yeah, because you do hear these these people who are typically anti vac anti COVID vax do say explicitly like, oh, I'll take all the other ones. I just I just won't take this one because it's experimental and it was done too quick and all those little reasons that they have, which are not really true, and that could be a whole other podcast. Those, those talking but, points um, were handed down them. to them,
0: right? They went out and yeah. sought reasons to disagree with getting the vaccination. That their leadership, the people that they trust, said too fast, too soon and it and which is really weird because i don't know that we ever got that much from the political right before you know that that's something that they always well, seemed to be reason i think we're reasonably compliant that it was more yeah, the political right has changed. I don't know. I'm
1: just a Canadian looking at the American. so I don't really know. But the political right has changed rapidly and drastically in some strange way, and I don't quite know how to explain it. But yes, it's
0: there's something going on there. Um, I agree. I think, but that's what's really interesting about this, and it seems to come from you know the the folks they trust and the folks they follow and the folks they center around for trusted information, and they're uh, always very skeptical about this new vaccine that actually was. Project Warp Speed was a brilliant thing of the Trump administration. They got out of the way and let the science do its thing. You know, if, uh, you can hate the guy all you want, but, you know, that's one thing you got to throw a bone to him about. Why they don't stand up on that and say this was a product of his administration and decisions they made that got us this uh, scientific breakthrough that has made a huge difference. That's where we really need to be. If I recall, he also was pretty pro,
1: the Trump administration was pretty pro GMO um, research. Like they, I forget exactly what they did, but they uh, even compared to previous administrations, like they really, um, but there's this thing you talk, you just almost highlighted where they, there's this thing going on in the background, uh, the good pro science stuff, but for some reason, it's not part of the upfront rhetoric because of the way it affects the voter base or something like.
0: Yeah, it impinges on the beliefs of the of the uh, of the individuals of that voting block that feel personal freedoms and decisions are more important than uh, participating in a community public health initiative. And that and so that rift of you're not going to give me a vaccination um, that's going to help public health because you're not going to vaccinate me. They feel this is a mandate that impinges on them personally rather than a step to protect the community which is really unusual because most of these folks tend to be uh, very religious where community is is in their, you know, their church community is really a centerpiece of their beliefs. So it's a really interesting conundrum. And it does, it does. It's, it speaks
1: to this lack of understanding of, of, of science in general, because the people who make the vaccines tell us they they work on an individual and a community level. They are developed for a certain way. And a lot of people, Around me, friends and family think, well, all the old people that are vulnerable are vaccinated. Why would I need to get vaccinated? Well, if, if only we could explain to them that the way that the virus travels, the mutations and those different aspects they're forgetting about, maybe they could see that um, and maybe change it. We talked about changing minds or not changing minds. I had a friend text me the other morning because the night before we had a little debate about it. And I, I called him selfish because he said, I don't need to take it. Everyone else is going to take it. And he texted me in the morning and he said, you know, no one's ever called me selfish before. He said it hit different said uh you know maybe I will take it and so I don't know but we have a communication problem
0: not a scientific problem
1: yeah Mick any uh
2: yeah I just uh uh, I'm not quite as uh, pessimistic as Lalo is about uh the effects of debunking. I think it is it's helpful in two ways like one you can help individuals which is is always good if you find someone who has a, a belief that's you know wrong, and it's hurting them in some way, it's great to be able to help them get out of that. But I think even at scale, uh, people who are doing things like what I'm doing do actually make a difference. A lot of the people I talked to who got out of conspiracy theories weren't really from directly interacting from me, with me. It's from resources that I've created or resources that other people have created. And uh, perhaps, you know, I'm in a field where, we have this asymmetry, where we don't have very many scientists working it. So there's not very much of the other side for people to go to. Uh, so I think me creating things like, for example, these debunks of these UFO videos, or the explanations I give about certain things about 911 or chemtrails even uh, actually does does help at scale, and it can help quite a considerable number of people. And I feel like, even though I'm not solving the problem, I am improving the situation.
3: Well, I am pessimistic because, uh, you know, Hispanic and Arab, you know, it's just in me to like <laughs> see, see, see the dark side of life. But I will say that it, it, I, I am here on social media and doing uh, podcasts and talking with people because of people like uh, Mick and Kevin. And they are, yeah, I'm pessimist, but you guys are my shining little ray of hope <laughs> in the world. And I just, I I only wish there were more people like you. Certainly, I'm not implying you guys should give up. Quite the opposite. I wish. There was more people like you and more passionate. And I think that's what's missing.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, that's a great place to finish, guys. And I wanted to say, too, just to add uh, me personally, obviously, you guys have, uh, you know, uh, helped me a lot in these different topics of thinking. Lalo with your political uh, thinking and Mick with all the uh, debunking things. And Kevin, just with your general science uh, understanding, you know, so uh, it, it does help. And if it's only a few people, I think. What's the, you know, it's kind of worth it.
0: Yeah, but you're giving, yeah. us, you're
1: giving so, us a bigger uh,
0: voice, right?
1: Dude, hey, I'm good. trying. We're the little podcast that could, but it's, uh, I think this is a pretty epic uh, panel that we got today that I, I haven't seen this panel before. So I think we're the first mm-hmm. to do it uh, this way. So. I just want to thank you guys again for your time, and let's plug everybody's uh, socials. And I know some people here have books and podcasts. So uh, Mick, uh, Uh,
2: yeah, my book book is called Escaping the Rabbit Hole: How to Debunk Conspiracy Theories Using Facts, Logic, and Respect. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mick West.
0: And uh, let's go to Kevin. Where can yeah? Um, I'm at Kevin Folta, K-E-V-I-N F-O-L-T-A on Twitter. Um, i also have the Talking Biotech podcast now going into its seventh year uh, and uh, 300 podcasts. Um, some something in there for everybody, and um, uh, and uh, you can follow my uh, research in the peer reviewed literature. <laughs> We're in uh, 121 thick documents that you can take a look at on Google Scholar.
1: There you go, and Lalo, the grifter, working. <laughs>
0: uh, I
3: wish I was a grifter. I could really use the money. Uh, <laughs> um, no, everything uh, on my social media, whether it's my podcast, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, or whatever it is, I'm always at Lalo the Gosh or Lalo the Gosh Podcasts. So just my name. Search it in any or most of uh, the big social media sites, and that's all you'll find me.
1: Awesome guys and uh hopefully you guys will get on TikTok maybe soon and uh appeal to some of the younger audience. We're
0: well, working uh, on it though. I I actually want to do a uh crop domestication series on tif- TikTok.
1: Hey, a lot of people are jumping up yeah. on the train. I don't think it's a bad. idea. I know I know it started as for the young people, but uh, there's a lot of editing capabilities on there. You can make cool little attractive yeah. videos, you know. Why not get the you younger have to people to start with it with some dance things? Dance videos to
3: get <laughs> popular on there first. Yeah. You got
0: to do some dance and you got to have a popular song. Or something well, the format there. works. It's it's a great format to convey information these days. And just so happens to be, uh, you know, that it appealed to a younger set first. But I think that the, uh, you know, folks who are my demographic probably appreciate it too. So we're going to go for it.
1: Yeah, there's something about the algorithm that works well because, uh, you know, that's, uh, I don't know, it gets people what they're looking for very quickly. So. Anyways, uh, gentlemen, thanks again and hope to talk to you all guys soon. And uh, yeah, all the best. Let's keep uh, keep the science and the debunking and the uh, political grift going. thank Thank you.